This is the Marketing Podcast Network. You may know you're listening to this show along the Marketing Podcast Network, but did you know there are other great shows on MPN to help your business? Christy Heiler hosts a fantastic podcast called Own It. Christy, Tell us more about the show. Own It is all about celebrating women and non-binary advertising agency owners. We talk about buying out of the Boys Club of Advertising because less than 1% of ad agencies are owned by women. And where can people subscribe? You can find the podcast at untilyouownit.com. We're also on the Marketing Podcast Network at marketingpodcast.net. And of course, you can subscribe wherever you get your podcasts. You heard her. Go subscribe. Stories influence, teach, and inspire us. But what about the storytellers who create them? Uncorking a Story profiles storytellers to uncover how their background and life experiences influence the stories they create. We learn what motivates them, their path to success, and what fuels them to keep creating. It all starts by asking one simple question. Where does your story begin? Welcome to Uncorking a Story. Now here's your host, Mike Carlin. Hello and welcome to Uncorking a Story. I'm your host, Mike Carlin, and today I'm excited to introduce you to Tracy Dunblazer. Tracy is a Los Angeles-based spiritual empath, shaman, and eight-time national award-winning author. As a, as a multi-sensitive, Tracy's blend of intuitive information combined with different modalities has provided the opportunity for many to achieve deep healing and create the success and peace they seek in their lives. She joins me today on Uncorking a Story to talk about her work and book, Transformative Grief, an Ancient Ritual of Healing for Modern Times. Welcome to Uncorking a Story, Tracy. Thank you, uh, Michael. It's really good to be here. Oh, it's great to have you here. I'm very excited for this conversation. And uh, I, I, I'm going to start where I always start, which is, where does your story as an author begin, Tracy? My story as an author um, begins because I was born psychic. With, with all the mediumship skills. And uh, I was born multi-spirited, is what we call it. Uh, it's, it's when you, you incarnate with multiple spirits attached. Uh, some of those were uh, energetic imprints, like past life experiences, past life spiritual trauma. And then others were actual spirits that were attached to me that through, through my karma or through my, my spiritual patterns, I, I brought everybody here with me so that we could reconcile some old patterning and to transform it into something new. And I did that through grief. Uh, as an empath, I'm an empath, which means I, I pick the lowest common denominator in the room and I feel it. <laughs> it's a fun job, let me tell you. Um, but that, that always lead that being that way required me to cry just about every day of my life until I was 50. And what I learned from that grief, from being predisposed to grief all the time, whether it was mine or somebody else's, it led me to recognize that, that grief is a, grief is not suffering. Grief is a transformative experience that allows us to see our traumas, process them, make different decisions, change the pattern, and uh, create a whole other way of looking at life, which then creates a new life. It shifts how the people you choose, how you relate, uh, what you want to do, what, what excites you or inspires you. So that's, uh, that's what started the process of the writing, was getting to that place in myself, my life, and my career. 
You mentioned being born multi-spirited. Um, how, how did you know? Like, when did you know that, you know, this was, you know, um, I, you know, I don't want to say that you were different, um, but, it's okay. but you probably were, right? So when, how did that come to the surface for you? Well, I always, so my, my father died when I was 12 and he had had cancer and he had cancer for a couple of years and I knew it, well, I, I knew it long before I think my parents knew it, but the point at which they told us was only a couple months before he died. And I, I had had a vision um, that told me, like, I just, I just, it was just a knowing that he would die and I grieved it at that time. And so when it happened, I was... Um, prepared differently, if you will. Um, I always, I had demonic experiences, which means I was spiritually haunted. I uh, had night, night terrors, nightmares, uh, spiritual paranormal visitations. Mm. I was deeply intuitive when I, when I looked at somebody, I could see, you know, who they were, how they were, uh, I, I was not the kid that a lot of adults like to have me around because, it, you know, I didn't I didn't always filter the things that I'd say. And, you know, I'd say something and I might be correct, but, you know, adults don't want to be told the truth by a child if they're not really ready to deal with that. So it was a combination of all of those things, which which led me to I felt very isolated. Um, I had a few select friends. I'd never, ever spoke of these experiences that I had. But I deeply empathized with people. And so that was how uh, all of my relationships uh, were based on on that empathy and that connection. Yeah. Um, how did you, I'm, I'm just trying to think, adjust uh, growing up like this? Because um, childhood is hard for for people who don't have sort of paranormal and demonic experiences. How did you, how did you deal with it? I mean, how did you adjust? Well... Um, part of my understanding slash philosophy, um, because I am this way is, is everything that I was offered as a child, I came in prepared for spiritually speaking. So when, uh, we, in my family, we, we weren't religious, we didn't practice anything in particular. And, uh, yet I, I knew by heart the Lord's prayer. So when the demons would come, and occasionally they would, uh, I would pray my way out of it. I was very conscientious of um, meditation, um, personal spiritual power. Like I, I, I really understood that. I really identified, I think, with um, magical practices, uh, the understanding of the spirit world and how that, that, that is a source of our power. And so I was really connected. I had a very deep, unequivocal faith from birth. So I think that that's what helped me. Um, how I navigated that as a kid is, uh, <laughs> I, I, you know, I, I think to some people I was a good friend. Some people I was not a good friend at all. You know, I'm certain that I was very self-centered. Uh, I, I was this multi-masked person during the day. And then at nighttime, I would literally cry myself to sleep most nights. Uh, or toss and turn. That was an interesting thing. I was, I was thinking I was, re uh, reflecting on the other day that I literally used to toss and turn all night long until I fell asleep. That was, that was the mechanism that I used to go to sleep. Uh, dreaming was something sometimes scary, but also a very positive escape for me or, 
it was it was the world that I was most comfortable in was the dream time. So, yeah, I you know, you mentioned the, the past life stuff. I was um, became very interested in this recently. I lost my brother this past summer and I'm with uh, with a bunch of friends. And one one in particular who I haven't seen was my sister's roommate from college. And, you know, she and I were having a, a deep conversation um, and she encouraged me to read this book called Many Lives, Many Masters. I just had to look it up by uh, Brian Weiss. And, you know, he's a psychiatrist who had the, and basically it's a case study of this one patient. And he would bring her into like this past life regression. And the deeper she went into it and she apparently had lived like hundreds of past lives. But the deeper she got into it, the more like her psychic abilities started to kind of come to the surface. And I'm just curious as to what your thought is on that, because I've never talked to this about this with anybody before. And I'm just curious as to what your take is. Um, so. Past lives slash spiritual imprints, whatever you want to call them, everybody has them. Uh, not everybody needs to have an awareness of them. It basically uh, is, it, it indicates for you from early on what things you need to work with, what tools you have to work with and what areas of life you're working on. So basically we can think of past lives as patterns. So to answer your question, um, past lives are in the, the non-physical dimensions. And the more you tune into the non-physical dimensions, the more they become uh, present to you you awaken to them and there are there are multiple awakenings that one can have uh spiritually speaking so you for me uh empathy was the first awakening clairsentience which was the ability to channel i would just know certain things like my dad i knew he was going to die there was no when i when i got that message i knew it was true everything matched uh i have a cat here just so you know it's not me meowing <laughs> She came to sit with us today. This well, is now, Charlotte. You, now you have to tell us her name. Charlotte. Charlotte, okay. Yes, little Charlotte. Um, so uh, every time you have an awakening, um, it awakenings relate to your energy centers, your chakras, and they also relate to your endocrine system, your different um, glands in the body. So empathy is your... Uh, uh, sexual glands, uterus, ovaries, that, uh, and then it goes up the body. And every awakening, like you, you can be a clairaudient, which is you hear energy and information, and then clairvoyant, which is you visually see it. You can you can see a person in the physical world, and then you can see the realm around them. Uh, and then that leads to a whole other set of things, which you know could take up a whole other show. Um, but every time you have those awakenings. Uh, you become more present to your own personal multidimensional world, which are your past lives. And all of us here at this time have experienced that on some level. And if we don't have any awareness or we don't want to have any awareness or we don't believe in that, it doesn't matter because everybody has their place in, in our microcosm of, of the planet and how human beings interact. We all have our role in that. And to know certain things is just as valuable as to not know certain things. Yeah. yeah and what, I, I need one more indulgence before I ask you about your book. Um, yeah. 
which is around, you know, you mentioned your, your father passing away of cancer. Um, that's what my brother passed away of from as well. Um, mother-in-law also. And both my brother and mother-in-law had these interesting experiences, which, which I would characterize as, you know, end-of-life dreams and visions. Um, how familiar are you with EDLVs, as they are called? Um, which is uh, end of life, end of or death, near death experiences. Yeah, neither death experience, but also they, these dreams and it. visions that that people have as they're approaching, you know, a natural end to their life. Yes, um, you know, it, it's not a coincidence you're asking that question. Sorry, sorry, it's I'm blaming it on Charlotte. She just moved the camera. Um, so can I tell you a little anecdote? Sure, please. Um. I just, I literally just had this conversation last night. I, uh, a cat crawled into my yard and the cat was on its literally last leg. And so when I, I didn't know it was there. And when the, when I let my dogs out, my dog was barking at it and, and, uh, nudging it. And I ran out there and I was like, oh my God. And then I realized the cat was on its, on its last, on its, in, it, in its sacred time. And so we actually got a bunch of crystals. I had a friend over. We had crystal. We put crystals around and we covered it because it was starting to get covered with bugs. And we said a prayer for it. And my friend said to me, should I get a shovel? And I said, no, it's not. It's not dead yet. And she said, why no? But I want to I want to hit it over the head and put it out of its misery. <laughs> oh, it was so deep. And I said, here's the thing. It's not suffering. You're suffering for watching it. And that's not really your fault because our culture does not support us in witnessing the sacred time of the transition. And in that sacred time, and it can be it can be two years, two months, two days, two hours, uh, people receive energy and information to reconcile what they were unable to do in life. We we become the when when my mother died, she she was in the hospital for for nine months. And during that time in the last, I'm going to say the last four months of her life, uh, we had a standing joke. I said, to, I said to mom one day, I said, you know, I bet that, uh, you know, I'm going to, I'm leaving now. She was in the hospital. I said, I'm leaving now, but I'm going to talk to you later. And I was telling her, I'm going to, I'm going to be thinking about you. And this is how we're going to communicate. We're going to communicate telepathically. And I had made a joke that she would, we were probably going to, I was going to haunt her and that I was, we were probably going to talk more uh, in death than we would have in life. And she laughed. And so that became a thing that every time I would leave, she said, okay, talk to you later. And in fact, she did, you know, her, her death process. She came to me in dreams. I was at her house, but she came to me in dreams uh, four or five times dancing. And that was, they weren't actual dreams. They were actually her spirit leaving her body. And coming back to show me that she did that, <laughs> I, it was it was so uh, incredible and funny. And every single time it you know it scared the bejesus out of me, and I jumped up and ran out to see if she was still breathing. And of course she was. But during that time, people use it as a period of reconciliation for themselves, for others, whatever. You know, I'm, I'm certain that my mother lived longer. Because our because members of our family needed her to be there longer, so you know, oftentimes there there is this synergy between a family and the and the the portion of the family that is beginning to transition, and it takes time to pull those spiritual cords back and reconcile so that that person can transition freely. Yeah, 
you know, it's, it's interesting. My, my father is 91. My mother is 90. And, um, you know, he's still in relatively good health, although he had a scare a couple of years ago. Um, but he keeps saying that the, the reason why he's, he is being allowed to stay around and the way he puts uh-huh. it, the reason why God is letting him stay around is because he, someone needs to take care of my mother. You know, her memory is, um, is very poor. Um, not Alzheimer's, but you know, she doesn't remember anything, any new information, really. She has a hard time grappling with. Yeah. So. That's powerful. Yeah. That's, yeah. And, and, and here's the thing, I, you know, that's when, when somebody can get to the point of, we, we, we do have a lot of levels of free will and your parents hold a particular frequency of their generation. In many of their generation, and actually many of, of our generation and generation, a lot of people are leaving the earth, but others are staying put because it creates a, a matrix of energy that, that keeps the world in balance. So it's always interesting, pardon me, it's, it's always uh, powerful to think about people and their relationship to that, their choice, their, their uh, presence to be of service in that way. Those are all powerful things that I think that we don't often we don't often recognize them as that. We see them as duties or obligations or fears, right? There's all this stuff about the end of life that we don't really live fully with the ones we love because we're always focusing on what that end result is going to look like. Yeah. Well, let's move to talking about the book. Uh, what can you share with us about transformative grief and ancient ritual of healing for modern times? Um, well, so here's, I, I loved the, uh, if you can see the cover. Oh, yes. I love the cover. Oh, I was, I, this, this is exactly it. You, you, you fall in and you're in and you then have to trust that you can breathe. <laughs> There's a whole other level of, you know, water is the symbolism for our emotions and grief. Uh, grief isn't only emotions, but it is that fluid movement of emotions through our body that creates a space in our physical world for higher frequency from the cosmos, if you will. Well, if you call it God, creator, cosmos, whatever, however you relate to your, your world, um, grief brings that new energy in so that we can look through a new lens. We can release the old imprints. The most important thing that people need to understand about grief is that grief, when we, when we allow ourselves to process grief, uh, it changes the neurons in our brain. So you, every time you cry for 10 minutes or more, it will actually change the neurons in your brain. It will erase them. So on, on some level, you're erasing some memory and in its place you're going to repopulate with a new concept about life taking the wisdom that you gained from that and putting it in a new place and you put it in the new place in during the morning process right morning is the process that we go through to now now we are changed so now what does our our life look like what decisions do we make what boundaries do we set you know how what what do we wear how do we fix our hair like whatever whatever changes uh it creates a shift in everything that we do. And transformative grief is the awareness of that and the acceptance of that and the embracing of that or surrendering to that, which is, which is the book cover. Yeah. 
You know, I think so many of us look to grief as a negative emotion, you know, because it, it requires a tremendous amount of vulnerability, right? And I think, you know, I've been crying just about every day um, since, uh, you know, June 21st of this year. Um, yeah. And, you know, and sometimes, you know, some days are better than others. Um, but, you know, I think about it as like, like, I'm very resistant to it. Like, I don't want to do it. Um, what I'm hearing you tell me is that no, we can reframe this, you know, that that act of crying, that process of grieving can, you know, be a very positive thing. It's almost like reframing what that grief is for. Exactly. Uh, interestingly enough, I, I had a mentor for like it was a woman who was a reader. I, I didn't know her for very long. She kind of uh, moved into town and then quickly moved out of town. But uh, she was one of the few people who. She, when she looked at me, she could really see me and understood what I was going through. And the advice that she gave me is when you cry, make it loud. Scream, cry, wail, make it, make it, make it, make it come all the way up from the earth out of you. <laughs> and that was, that was the best advice I could have ever gotten because, um, when, when we allow ourselves that freedom and it doesn't have to be around other people and that vulnerability it doesn't need to be with a witness and that's oftentimes what what makes us feel vulnerable is that you know especially for men in our culture are told if you cry you're weak and that's and that's something to overcome that's something to decide you're going to do it differently and you know what you can do it in the sanctity of your own home in your own space and nobody needs to know about it grief is not about pride grief is not about anybody else's opinion grief is about riding the waves of energy that allow a shift. And when it comes to death and dying, when someone dies, they're gone, their body is gone, but their spirit is present. It is very rare that a spirit will automatically go to where they cannot be communicated with. That, that's rare. It happens, but it's rare. And so when somebody dies, we are, with every time we cry, we are opening up to their, we are learning how to receive them in a new way. And they are present learning how to communicate with us in a new way. Right? So, uh, for example, my mother, <laughs> uh, probably two or three months after she died, uh, I, was, I was asleep in bed. It was about midnight. And all of a sudden I turned over and I literally saw her do this. And she said, I just wanted to say thanks for all your help. And then it went back. And, and when I saw that, that wasn't, that didn't feel clairvoyant. It didn't feel like a dream. It was, I was there in the room and she opened up the veil and stuck her little face through. I mean, I, and how hilarious was that? Cause she, you know, our family is driven by humor. And so <laughs> It couldn't be this meaningful, you know, oh, my child, I'm so proud of you. It wasn't, no, it was like, hey, hey, I'm here. I'm so, you know, thanks for all your help. And I, I don't know, I laughed and I cried uh, up for, you know, for several hours after that communication, but it wasn't about sadness. It was about adjusting my, my mind, body, and spirit to her new presence and acknowledging how far she's come to be able to, Pert the veil in that way, if you will. Yeah, I can't say that I've had 
any run-ins with uh, my brother. However, um, you know, this is, and this is probably getting a little too inside the Carlin family, but I don't care. Um, when he was diagnosed with cancer three years ago, it was the fall. Um, it was close to the fall. And they were, you know, starting to decorate for Halloween. They've got two young kids. And they decided to have a gratitude pumpkin. And this is something where they all wrote something on this pumpkin, something that they're happy for. They're, they're you know, happy that, you know, dad's doctors are talented and happy for medication that's prolonging his life and all this stuff. This pumpkin they had outside for three years. Um, didn't rot. Animals, wow. animals did not come in and start nibbling on it like, you know, animals do in the Northeast. Um, it actually did not start to rot until he passed away. Then they took the seeds from this pumpkin and somebody said, you know, it's this pumpkin is too old. It's not going to bear anything. They're like, you know what? We're just going to plant them in the ground. I would a miracle go- pumpkin, so... It's a miracle. Well, I was there last week and they've got a whole pumpkin patch happening with one sole pumpkin on it. Um, you know, just but it's so to me, that's a sign. Right. I mean, well, that that is a run in. And it was their grief, your grief that allowed like, you know, no doubt that is your the spirit of your brother leading that. All the way from life into death. And to be cognizant of that and follow that path, that is the that is the run in. That is the hello. Yeah. <laughs> However it looks to you, uh, the more you grieve, the more you recognize more of those. Right. And eventually, you know, if you need to, you might get uh, you know, hey, you might get the 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 lights flickering in and out or somebody sitting at the end of your bed. Those are all traditional ways that people their first experiences of of recognizing uh spirits uh is to is to have one of those traditional ways. But they're, you know, your spirit, we are spirit to spirit. And so your your brother is not far is never far from that. And so through your grief, you awaken to that. Yeah. And receive those messages. That's powerful. A whole pumpkin patch. Yeah, well, you know, and we're each going to get um, some seeds from the pumpkin that's growing. So, uh, you know, and also, that's... I've also been promised his meatball recipe, too. So that's. Uh... Okay, well, they better they better come up with that. <laughs> um, but you mentioned lights flickering. I remember after my grandmother passed away, my grandmother and I were very, very close. Um she passed away of cancer. Uh, this is going back to May of 92. I was a senior in high school. And um, I get, I get, there was a call from the main office of school saying, Michael and Jim Carlin, I have a twin brother. Michael and Jim Carlin, will you uh, please come down to the office? So everyone's like looking at us like, what did you guys do? Like, you're the good kids in school. <laughs> what the hell did the Carlin brothers do? Um, and then, you know, somebody was there saying, Hey, you know, grandma, grandma's in a coma. Um, you got to get home, get home, go, uh, people are like, well, where are you going? I'm like, I'm going upstairs to see grandma. They're like, she's in a coma. She can't communicate. I'm like, I don't care. I'm going to go. I go up. First thing she does is open her eyes. When, when I walk in said she was waiting for me, bippity boppity boo. Um, 
And then, you know, she goes back to sleep. We had a little conversation. She goes back to sleep. She dies in the middle of the night that night. And my aunt came in. So her sister was staying with us. My aunt came in to tell me. And I'm like, I already knew, right? I already knew. Like, I felt it. Like, I had a dream about it. Wasn't a surprise. But there were times where I'd go into that bedroom and a light would come on. Like I would just peek into to that room and sure enough, a light would just like pop in or I would smell her perfume at various oh. times, like during the course of, you know, the year after. It doesn't really happen so much anymore. But um, yeah, I used to those those experiences were, were common for me. Absolutely. Um, and this is uh, when you're young, we are more open to the spirit world. And as depending on how we are nurtured in that spirit world. Oftentimes we are nurtured to shut it down, uh, but even if we weren't nurtured to shut it down, we also uh, your your awareness goes to goes in different places. So it sometimes becomes less, um, and grief is the reawakening of that. Every, everybody has the ability to be telepathic, and that's what we consciously become in relationship to to death and dying. It is the process of our awakening of a new frequency of communication you know, that we experience. So it's, uh, it's beautiful. It's beautiful. I, I, I want to qualify that. Like if you can let yourself let, let the suffering be beautiful. Yeah. That's uh, that's the, the, the hard part, right. Is to, as you're kind of going through it and you're missing someone, um, you know, but finding the beauty in it. Um, but I guess that's what the, the book is all about, right? Um, what the book is about i want to i want to tell you that uh i i really struggled with picking the information to go in the book because um one you know i cover uh homicide i cover suicide i cover death dying haunting um relationships relate you know uh, i cover one of the main topics is everyday grief every day we experience something that we need to transition through and we are taught to stuff that stuff down, to devalue it, to get over it. We, we don't, compartmentalizing makes you different. It doesn't integrate. It doesn't, it doesn't do you any favors. It kicks the can down the road a little while longer until you can feel safe enough to actually process the transition. And we do that every day in our relationships with things we don't want to deal with, either in ourselves or with other people. So. Uh, I don't know. I, I, there is something for everyone in this book, whether or not you're in grief. Uh, there is something for everybody. You, you know somebody who goes through this. You've experienced it. It gives you tools, techniques, new thought, lots of anecdotes for all different kinds of people in their experiences. And just, I just, I really wanted to reframe this process for people so they could see it as a natural, normal beautifully profound occurrence yeah and i think it's it's an important distinction i mean you know we've been of course talking about grief in the form of missing a loved one who's passed on um but there is everyday grief right loss of a relationship breakup of a marriage you know i mean hell even children going off to college can cause people some some grief and it is such a shared experience to be able to reframe to be able to reframe it as a it's a beautiful thing yeah. And well, and to, to go into a job that you hate or a boss that you don't like or, you know, de- dealing with the world's aggressions. There are people every day who have to go out to a very angry world. Yeah. And then they're not like, to, you know, like they have to deal with that. And 
And uh, that's, you know, cultural trauma. We are, as a, as a culture, we are learning how to better respond and step into understanding, empathizing, and transforming uh, the grief of everyone in our community. You know, we, we are all, and energetically, emotionally, we are all the same. You know, spiritually, we all have a story and recognizing that and, and, and being willing to take your own inventory and do, do your own work, working. That's another thing that I address in the book is, uh, you know, racism and, and bias. Like every single person, we have a relationship to bias, no matter how we feel about it, no matter what we think of ourselves. If we would just dig a little deeper and understand our bias, forgive ourselves and do different right? Begin the process of recognizing where these natural unconscious biases exist and to whom or, or for whom they exist. When we can be strong enough to do that, that's when the nature of people on the planet, the, the relationship, the energy goes up. And that's when we find solutions to things that are deeply troubling right now. Yeah. Right. Is It starts with every individual doing their own work. You know, I want to bring this full circle somewhat, and this is going to be a challenge because uh, I haven't fully thought of this question yet. Um, okay. But, you know, we were talking before about sort of end of life dreams and visions and, you know, kind of going through the process of uncovering, you know, maybe answers to questions that we hadn't had time to to really focus on yet. Right. And 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 learning what our purpose at at the end of life, maybe learning what our purpose in this life was. Um, can we feel grief over not having accomplished what it is we've wanted to accomplish in life? Absolutely. I think that um I'm gonna I'm gonna I am going to embellish on that statement everybody accomplishes what they set out to accomplish what their spirit truly sets out to accomplish they accomplish unequivocally that happens now we have ideas thoughts and opinions on what that should have looked like on what it would have what it should have meant how we should have experienced it we we all have those feelings and those feelings we grieve every day as a, as a young person, I was going to be a dancer. I, I'm certain that I was a, a singer and a dancer in another lifetime. And I came in talented in that way. But every time I would go to dance class, the weight of the emotion in my gut, uh, it, it, it dissuaded me from being able to uh, work out and to actually use those muscles because I would literally start to cry every single time. I would be doing push or sit-ups and I would cry. And I had not really, that, does, that doesn't go over well in a dance class with a bunch of other you know, little kids, right? <laughs> so uh, eventually when I got to New York and I got the opportunity to be a singer and dancer and I went to acting class and I did all that stuff, it finally came down to me one day that I was like, wait, wait a second, this is not, this is who I am. It's part of what informs my wisdom about life, but it is not intended for me in this life. I am not ever going to be a dancer because I'm not an athlete. But I'm a fucking champion. Pardon me. <laughs> I am a champion emotionalist. You know, I'm a champion empath. Like you, 
you can't move me from uh, being who I am, thinking how I think and and working myself through it and helping others with that. That's my superpower. You can't move me from that. Nothing moves me from staying with something until it's complete. Okay, well, who know who knew that could be a career? It took me another ten years to to understand that to to or to figure out or to have it be presented that that could be my career. And I left the acting, the dancing, the singing. I still sing for my own enjoyment. It's a way that I release and open to to God. But but I don't do it as a career because that because I I don't like the industry. I don't like I don't like it, you know. And so that's, I, I think that people need to give themselves permission to walk towards what, what they're really good at and embrace that they're good at it, therefore changing their focus from those things that they may have wanted to do. They, maybe they wanted to be a doctor, but they're really, you know, a mime. <laughs> you know, it's like whatever, whatever it is, you've got to give yourself permission to be that thing you're good at or trust that. Those things that you're good at are becoming something that is going to help you flourish. Yeah. Yeah, I wanted to be a doctor because um, I felt very close to, like, I, this desire to help and heal people. Um, however, I am terrible at math and not all that interested in science. Yes. <laughs> so. No, but that's true. But you have the ability to be present, uh, articulate, compassionate. Those those are just as valuable, if not more, in my opinion, my humble opinion, you know, as as doctoring, you know, doc, you know, so, so the science world has not caught up with the with the metaphysical world or the spiritual world. And we are we are, you know, people in my industry, it's, it's us that create creating those inroads for those two worlds to meet. And they will eventually someday. But we are not there yet. So. uh you know, being a doctor is cool. And, you know, I, I know a lot of people who've gone to law school, but now do this. They now write books or publish books or, you know, so your your body, your spirit, your mind, your heart are going to lead you where you truly need to be with your skill set. And everything you do in your life offers you that skill set. It is one of the many building blocks. Mine, again, took till I was 30. I always knew who I was, but I didn't want to tell people who I was. And then the opportunity came and Spirit said, okay, now's the time. Whatever issues you have around telling other people, get over that. You know, my, my thing is uh, when I first started doing psychic work with people doing readings and such, and somebody would try to, to test me, well, what's my grandmother's name? I'm like, I have no idea. Like, look, I'm not, I'm not here for you to help you believe in this. That's not my job. I'm here to offer you any assistance that you genuinely are ready for. And if you don't, I'm not, I'm not your person. I'm not, I'm not your gal. You know, here's your money. Go, go forth and conquer. Go find somebody who it is their job to prove that this exists. Because I don't have a, a, an iota of time for that. I have only have time to dig into whatever that root is and pull it out. So, you know, everybody has their thing. and the more you are willing to step out in your, whatever your thing is, spirit will show you more and more, more ways to do that and more, more and more ways that that can sustain you. Well, I love the sound of that. Um, and it is definitely reassuring and gives me hope. 
that I might one day use my skills for um, something greater. Um, but before I let you go, I do have a couple of questions. I always ask my guests at the end of our conversation, and that's really they're really designed to get to know people a little bit more. However, I do it through pop culture. So I am curious, Tracy, when you were growing up, did you have anything that you enjoyed watching on television as a kid? Oh, my God. So uh, I, I was going to tell you in, in this full circle because the story I was going to tell you is when I was a kid, I lived for the six million dollar man. The Bionic Woman and The Man from Atlantis. So I know two out of the three. I don't know The Man from Atlantis, but I could tell you I l watched Lee Majors and uh, well, Jamie Summers was the character name, I think. I don't think that was the yes. actress's name, but uh, I just remember the opening scene of the, the, the Bionic Woman where her breaking the tennis ball in her bare hand is like burned into my mind. Yes, exactly. I, I was going to marry Lee Majors. I was going to marry the Bionic Man. And the, you know, I, I, I understood that like my body, it was interesting because my body couldn't do that. But like, of course, the bionic woman, I understood what it was to see and hear like that. Those visuals helped me understand myself and they gave me solace. You know, they gave me, they gave me comfort and they sh showed me mercy and they oftentimes lulled me to sleep. So those are my favorite. Also, Shazam. I just want to, or, and Mighty Isis. Does anybody remember Oh Zephyr Winds, which blow on high, lift me now so I can fly? I do not remember that, but I remember Shazam, the, the cartoon. Um, yes. Absolutely. Captain Marvel, Shazam. Yes. Yeah. Remember yeah. that. Which confused me when the movies came out, but because um, I think the Shazam movie was DC, but he was Captain Marvel. I don't know. It was, it was very confusing. Um, yeah, what I don't remember. What about music? What did you like to listen to growing up? I am R&B. Just so you know that this is Paloma. She's she's. Oh, hey, Paloma. She, she's being she's being uh, relentless. The door's open. Paloma, you can go out. She wants to go out. And I left the door open for her, but she doesn't know that. So I just had to let her know. Um, music. Um, oh, oh, my most influential again. Uh, past life images, uh, Janice Joplin. Her voice, I understood the pain that 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 she wailed in all of her songs, and I loved her so much. My father was a disc jockey uh, in that time. He was the morning drive time guy in Albuquerque, New Mexico, and oh, wow. uh, the whole Southwest region. And he would get you know promotional albums, and he came home with Pearl. And Pearl was the last album that she did. She, I think it came out when she had already died. Um, and it had this gallery of pictures. And I would say, I could, at that time, I went to go, I would put the, the record on. And I, the first time I did, I put the needle on it because we, of course, had record players. And I put the needle on the record and then that static comes up. And then that her voice, I burst into tears and I had to take it off. I couldn't, I couldn't hear her. But I would sit almost every day and look at her photos and just study them and 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 you know connect with her on many levels. And it it wasn't. I actually took that album uh, with me when I moved to New York City, and I would sing with them. And I remember that uh, you know I, I the first time I went and sang in a uh, like a pro jam or you know uh, step in session. Uh, at, a, at a place they were like, because <laughs> her, 
crying. I'm like, what? I'm just, I'm, I'm just wailing. And uh, people were not prepared for it because I didn't, you know, they, they didn't see it coming. Let's say that. But, uh, you know, Janice Joplin, you know, lulled me through my pain on, on many accounts, you know, on many, many times in the middle of the night, I would crank her and just sing at the top of my lungs. And luckily I lived in a place, I actually lived for a long time in a, in a building that didn't, wasn't, didn't have uh, all the tenants and the neighborhood wasn't, it was, it was very burnt out, burnt out neighborhood at the time. It was, hadn't yet begun to regentrify. And, and so I had the pleasure of, you know, getting up at three in the morning and wailing to, to uh, Janis Joplin. And last up is a, I always call it the letter to me question or dear younger me, if you could write a letter to your younger self, what are some of the things you would tell a younger Tracy to, to reassure her about her future? Hmm. I think, gosh, I don't, I don't even I, the, the interesting thing for me, I mean, the things I think I did say to myself, or let me say this, um, the things I, I, guides I believe said to me, because, you know, being a child, having certain information and not having adults in your presence that can acknowledge that, embrace that, or support that, that's difficult. And you feel isolated. And I felt isolated a lot. But my spirits always told me, hang on, keep going, don't worry. You know, this, this is, th there, there is resolution for you. You will get through the, this burden. This burden that you carry will be lifted. And that's, you know, if, if there was ever a message I had for other people, is whatever burden you have, it is the purpose of your life to have that burden lifted. It will happen, whether you go willingly you know, you go the easy way or the hard way. Doesn't, you know, it, it, it will happen. And, and there will come a day where the pain you're carrying, the suffering that you have, it's not going to resonate in the same way. You're not going to carry it in the way that you do. So keep, keep going. Don't give up. Don't give up. Well, there you have it. Uh, Tracy, where can people buy Transformative Grief, an ancient ritual of healing for modern times? Uh, you, can, uh, you can buy this book anywhere books are sold. You know, of course, if you need to do the Amazon or the Barnes and Noble, I love you for it. Uh, if you could do an independent bookstore, you know, I, it's an independent uh, Red Feather Mind Body Spirit who uh, produced this book for us. So I always support independence. And if they want to reach me directly, I do do session work. My name is Tracy Dunblazer. TracyDunblazer.com is where you can get to all of my information, all of the classes that I have online, all the other books. I have a lot of other books on spiritual trauma and transformation of that. So uh, yeah, look me up, tracydunblazer.com. And then Tracy, any social media people can follow you on if they're so inclined? Yes. Uh, forgive me. I'm trying to get the TikTok together, but I'm not fully there yet. I've got like two, <laughs> two, two plugs on that, but I have a go at go Tracy. Uh, YouTube, Instagram, and at Tracy Dunblazer on Facebook. Very good. Tracy, thank you so much for stopping by Uncorking a Story and letting me uncork yours. Thank you so much. Thanks for listening to Uncorking a Story. If you'd like more information about today's guest or to find out more about Mike, go to uncorkingastory.com. 
If you enjoyed the show, please subscribe, rate, and review us at Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts. Tune in every week to hear Mike Carlin uncork a new story.